0: looked like Samson failed. Sovereignty colors undergirds what happens between the Philistines and and Samson. And his cords were cut. And his cords were cut for you, ultimately. And so if you can open your Bibles to Judges chapter 16... Verses 4 through 31. Judges chapter 16, verses 4 through 31. So we'll be covering contextually Judges 15. We'll be diving a little bit deeper into Judges 16. So Judges 16, verses 4 through 31. After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Seduce him, and see where his great strength lies. And by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we will each give you eleven hundred pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies. And how you might be bound, that one can subdue you. Sanson said to her, "If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man." Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now she had men lying in ambush in an inner chamber, and she said to them, or said to him. The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak. And be like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them, and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men lying in ambush were in an inner chamber, but he snapped the ropes off his arms like a thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head with the web and fasten it tight with the pin, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into a web. And she made them tight with the pin and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he woke from his sleep and pulled away the pin, the loom, and, the web. and she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times, and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day, and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart, and said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, he sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees, and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, Our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country, who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house is full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please remember me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So more than those whom he had killed, so so the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him, and brought him up and buried him with Zora or between Zora and Eshthael in the tomb of Manoah his father. He had judged Israel twenty years. Let us pray. Lord become before you expecting your word, expecting your spirits to stir within us. I pray that your Son, Jesus Christ, is proclaimed, that hearts are convicted and edified, that they are comforted in the finished work of his redemption through Samson. We pray all of these things in your Son's name. Amen. So you either know someone personally. Or have heard stories of those laid with great responsibility to be the next big thing, whether it be a sports star, CEO, lawyer, academic, musician, what have you. Everyone, including you, saying their praises, set your expectations and place these individuals on top of a pedestal. It wasn't so much that they were marginally above everyone else, but on a different level. Untouchable. Clearly destined for greatness. Everyone in the back of their minds looks forward to one day saying, yeah, I knew her. I lived next to her. I studied next to her. I played against her. Or, yeah, he was the town hero. The guy who was going to put us on the map. No one knew us before, but he's going to put the spotlight on us finally. Initially, they fulfilled all the hopes, dreams, and expectations placed upon them. They're the cut above, the hero from your local town. They'll give you the story of transcendence. Someone who gives you access to what it's like to be a hero. But it all comes crashing down. They pressed, the pressure was too much for them. The expectation was too high. They stumble, fall, and are no longer the town hero, the one you looked at because you could tell your children one day, yeah, I knew her. Even worse, now, because they rose so high, they fall hard. They're no longer the hero, they're the disappointment. You say, we had such high hopes, now look what they've done to themselves. You know the saying, the higher you rise, the harder you fall. So is this what you get with Samson? The one raised from obscurity, vested with the spirit to deliver Israel, can bench a thousand pounds, and run a four-minute mile. The one the Israelites said, he'll deliver us. But he failed. In a human sense, yes. But you look at the larger context of Judges, and the Lord's intention behind Samson in Judges 14.4, no. So is Samson the local pariah? which you hits with a bat and candy comes out after. The one who wasted his great potential. Let's get some context first. So last week you heard about Samson's birth narrative, unparalleled in the book of Judges. He was consecrated from birth in his mother's womb given the spirit to judge according to the Lord's eyes. But what does he do at his very first opportunity? He saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. He failed the first temptation the author brings up. And further along in Judges 15, after a strange transition where his wife is given to his companion... Samson embarks on a personal revenge mission. He's not, in his eyes, delivering Israel from Philistine oppression, but himself. He ups anti strikes down more in chapter 15 with the jawbone of a donkey, under the vestment of the Spirit again, and delivers himself, himself, out of Philistine oppression. Which brings us to chapter 16, where verses 1 through 3, you get a preview of what Samson will do on a much larger scale in verses 4 to 31. The narrative is working on two levels. The human, what is right in Samson's eyes, and the divine. The Lord's intention behind everything laid out in Judges 14.4. So these two strands, human intention and divine sovereignty, are played out on a much larger scale in chapter 16, verses 4 through 31. With the, quote, eyes of beauty or eyes for beauty of Samson and his sacrifice providing temporary rest for Israel after crushing the Philistines. And this will be developed in the following three movements. The first movement, Attempted Temptation, verses 4 through 14. Samson is clearly playing with fire. And with the name of Delilah sounding so much like night in Hebrew, he's playing with darkness. Movement two, Successful Temptation. Verses 15 through 22. The enticement of Delilah proves too strong for Samson. And he gives up his secrets, leading to his capture by the Philistines. And then last movement, movement three. Subversive temptation. Verses 23 through 31. Even the self-interested judgments of Samson and his capture by the Philistines is turned on its head when he is placed between the pillars, crushing the heads, literally, of the Philistines and freeing Israel for the time being. So, in all these movements, you will hear that even though Samson lays his eyes on another Canaanite or Gentile woman leading to his downfall as a judge of Israel in Christ you have the one who was like man who gave himself up for his enemy in order that you might in order that he might free you in him for all eternity so after samson's most recent escapade with yet another gentile woman what's he doing with Delilah. So first off, when you look at verse 4, the first movements, attempted temptation. Verse 4 states, After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. So you hear a woman coming from Sorek, a a town that's far from where Samson's from, a town of Canaanites. And even Delilah's name, as I mentioned earlier, sounds eerily similar to the word for nights in Hebrew. The author is alerting to you at the very beginning of this new Samson episode that this is not going to end well. And this theme for nights is further driven by verse 5, when verse 5 states... And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, seduce him and see where his great strength lies. And by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. You learn Delilah is in cahoots with the Philistines. Samson must pose some big national threats if the Philistines are willing to offer so much money to Delilah. It's about three times what Gideon got from the Midianite kings earlier in Judges. And she's told to do precisely the same thing the Philistines asked the woman to do in Judges 14-15, seduce him. So Delilah commences with the first temptation in verses 6 to 9. Samson is so captured by his love, really unlawful lust, for Delilah, he plays around in this game, potentially trying to show off. So this is sort of like when anything is broken in your house, wives, what are the first words... Out of your mouth. Or what are the first words out of your husband's mouth? Not, let's pay someone, call someone, and give them a lot of money. But normally, I got this. Now, I'm not calling all wives Delilah or all husbands Samson, but this is probably what Samson thinks is going on. Samson plays along in verse 7. When the author says, Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. And what he says is rather significant. Fresh bowstrings looks nearly identical in the original language For what Samson used against the Philistines in Judges 15, donkey's jawbone. He's mocking the Philistines. I can break out of what struck them down. And it's fresh, likely off the carcass of an animal, breaking his Nazarite vow. Also, it's strong, never been used showcasing his strength to Delilah. And Samson will become weak or as any other man. Keep that in mind. In verse 8, the Philistines come up. And in verse 9, they ambush Samson. what happens? He breaks through as easily as when you light a torch and melt a spider's web. What's Delilah's response? In verse 10 through 12, she remains dogged in her pursuit of Samson's strength. She accuses Samson of lying in verse 10, and persists in her question of finding out Samson's power. Samson continues to play along, continuing in this temptation, seemingly to the neglect of the vow he made, or rather was made for him, in chapter 13. Verse 11 states, And he, Samson, said to her, If they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Again, he wants to showcase his strength, by breaking free of more new ropes, comparing himself to a weak man. So Delilah takes the implements, calls the Philistines. Samson breaks out again, treating these dirty ropes like a single thread. In the third unsuccessful attempt, verses 13 to 14, Samson adds a new element, his hair. If Delilah, quote, weaves the seven locks of his hair, the same will occur, he will become weak. And in verse 14, there's a very significant phrase in the original language. So the author states that Delilah made them tights with the pin. This is the exact same phrase as is used in Judges 3, when Ehud thrust a knife into Eglon's belly, and when Jael drove a tent peg into Sisera's forehead. It's translated slightly differently, has a little bit of nuance. But this is heavy foreshadowing that this woman will lead to Samson's downfall. But... The deliverance of Israel. But these three attempts, unsuccessful attempts, to discover Samson's strength, lead to the eventual downfall of Samson, the last and final temptation, which moves us to movement two successful temptation. And as a lead up to the final confrontation between Samson and Delilah, she again ups the ante. In verse 15, Delilah pulls a love card on Samson. The same thing Samson states to her. When the author states in verse 15, And she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times, and you have not told me where your great strength lies. Also, the same card used by the Timnite wife in Judges 14, 16-17. And it works yet again. In verse 16, Delilah pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him his soul was vexed to death. She pressed him hard, just like the Timnite woman does in Judges 14-17. to And pressed him until his soul was vexed to death. And this time, it will lead to his death. And such is the nature of sin today. Much like what Genesis 4-7 states, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. His desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. We're not above Samson, you're not above Samson, and his giving in to Delilah. This sinful temptation that Samson has, he is more than willingly allowed into his life. To use an everyday example, diets. You set a goal for yourself, no sweets or soda for the next month. You do great for a little bit, but a pesky little community birthday rears its little head. And you find yourself walking around the sweet aroma of a fresh baked cake. You loiter, you get closer. But you promise yourself to stay clean, thinking, I'll only smell it. But the next thing you know, you're down three slices. It's easy to fall to temptation when you place yourself right in its midst. So goes the narrative of Samson. In verse 17, he takes a bite. And he told her all his hearts, verse 17 states, and said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. Though on the human level, Samson fails miserably, divulges the mal- made, vow made for him at birth, and how he may be stripped of his strength. Yet you have Judges 14.4 in the back of your minds. When it states, For he, the Lord, was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. In verse 18, Delilah recognizes that Samson has given his whole heart. And she calls for the Philistines with their money. How could you not hear this and think immediately of Judas Iscariot and giving Jesus over to the Philistines or to the Pharisees? And further in verse 19, she made him sleep on her knees and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him and his strength left him. Samson's head is shaved And that's what the author says about Delilah can be translated, and she began his humiliation. Samson, the one who will begin the salvation of Israel, has thus begun his humiliation. Verse 20 has the same beginning as the first three encounters. Yet the author tells you, but he, Samson, did not know, that the Lord had left him. Utilizes a very similar construction as when the Spirit comes to rush upon him. Samson has been forsaken. The Philistines, in verse 21, gouged out his eyes and left him abandoned and secured in their prison. As one commentator points out, quote, Whatever the reason, Samson's experiences are paradigmatic for what happens to Israel when she fritters away her high calling, lives by what is right in her own eyes, and provokes the Lord to abandon her. According to the covenant curses in Leviticus 26 and 28, this is precisely the fate's the nation should expect for persistent rebellion against the covenant Lord. And yet, a glimmer of hope buds in verse 22, when it states, but the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. The construction again of this verse is ambiguous. As to the time period, verses verse between verses twenty-one and twenty-two, but it's safe to say that the Lord is not done with Samson, nor with Israel. And it is significant to note the similarity with Judges thirteen, five, when it states, For behold you shall conceive and bear a son, no razor shall come upon his head, for the child should be a Nazarite from the womb and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. As Samson's hair grows, so should your reading grow in anticipation for what the Lord will do through Samson's humiliation. Samson's sin has led him to his own oppression under the hand of the Philistines. Though representing Israel and her oppression... Under the hand of four nations. The judge himself is being led into the hands of the enemies. Has Samson utterly failed his duty? That leads to the last movement's subversive temptation. In verse 23, sometime after the imprisonments of Samson... The lords of the Philistines get together for a worship service, praising their gods for the deliverance of their enemy into their hand. A pagan worship service. Now instead of the Israelites worshiping the Lord for giving the Philistines into their hand, what occurs in verse 24? And when the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country, who has killed many of us. So tremendously ironic that the nation of Israel cannot get together and unify to drive out the nations. Yet the pagan Philistines get together and praise their gods For delivering Samson into their hands. A deep contrast between the unity of the pagan Philistines and the covenanted Israelites throughout the book of Judges. And this worship service is substantiated by Samson's entertainments in verse 25. The same word is used of David dancing in the temple in 2 Samuel 6 and 1 Chronicles 13. But do you see that the phrase ends at the end of verse 25? They made him stand between the pillars. Sovereignly placed precisely where the Lord will use him. Judges 14.4 is rearing its head right back around to the Philistines. Even the pillars here Used is nearly exclusively for the presence of the Lord throughout the Exodus narrative. Something's up. Samson asked the young man near him to rest against the pillars in verse 26. Based on what's to occur after, it seems that Samson is somewhat aware of the Lord's providence in some small sense. And the author gives some extra information on how many Philistines are enjoying the spectacle of this service. Far more people than Samson has interacted with up to this point. Then in verse 28, Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once. Oh God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. So, what's significant about Samson's call to the Lord is it's used by Abraham, Moses, Joshua, and Gideon, this exact phrase for their correct understanding of the Lord. And Samson asking the Lord to remember me recalls the Lord remembering the Israelites even in the midst of their sin. This covenantal remembrance. This is so even though Samson is asking for his two eyes to be avenged. Samson calls out like the Israelites do under his oppression. He does so for personal reasons, yet with a hint of belief. In verse 29, he leads, leans upon the pillars with his left and right hands. The author is building the tension, slowing the pace, and describing each and every movement of Samson almost like you're here or there with him. And though a seemingly insignificant phrase and he leaned his weight against him, the author is actually pulling straight from sacrificial language. It's used all over Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy for the priests putting or leaning their hands on the altar or the lamb to transfer the sins of the people upon it. In the climax of the narrative, verse 30, And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. So though Samson fails on so many accounts, does what is right in his own eyes, pursues foreign women to neglect of his vow and the covenant, he takes down the Philistines and their altar more specifically. Now, is this considered the failure of Samson, the hometown hero gone bad? Though Samson has failed and sinned miserably and consistently at every opportunity, the through line of this narrative has been Judges thirteen five, he will begin to save Israel. In Judges fourteen four, the Lord is seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. Samson crushes the serpents by crushing himself. Yes, he is sinful, and failed to judge according to the Lord's commandments. But he does ultimately deliver Israel, though only for a time. And the last verse states this implicitly. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him and buried him between Zorah and Eshtiol in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel 20 years. Notice the difference between Judges 16.31 in judges 15:20 Judges 15:20 states and he Samson judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years Judges 16:31 takes out in the days of the Philistines And it takes this out to point out Samson's as well as the Lord's beginning to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines The one consecrated from birth, filled with the Spirit to judge the Philistines, yet a sinner who constantly chooses what is right in his own eyes, eventually leads to the destruction of a pagan altar and the temporary rest for the Israelites. Samson, who was promised by the messenger of the Lord to his mother, that he would begin Israel's salvation was crushed for his iniquities and for the deliverance of Israel. He became as a man to be crushed for man. He was forsaken by the Lord to be turned over to the enemies to deliver the people of God. Though tempted and failed, the very temptation is led providentially by the Lord towards the crushing of the head of the serpents, the oppressive Philistines. Samson fails, yet delivers Israel. How much more in Christ's profession does he deliver you? Christ was weak and was like any other man. He was delivered by one near to him, though contrasted with the inappropriate relationship between Samson and Delilah to the hands of the enemies. Christ was tempted four times in the account of Luke by the devil in his obedience to the word of the Lord. Christ, the true temple, was torn down to be built back up in glory. And you were found in this temple, not to be torn down, but to be eternally found in him. So the author to the Hebrew states... In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 to 34, true for Gideon, Jephthah, and Barak is also true for Samson. His faith pointed to the righteousness of Christ, whom he recognized in verse 28, though small, in the midst of his failure. You will point to this very same Christ, whom Samson looked forward to, the priest sacrificed for you to deliver you, who became like you, took on your weakness, and will raise you up in glory. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you used and have used miserable sinners like us to accomplish your great salvation plan, culminating in the perfection of of the judgeship of the priesthood of Christ. Pray that we can be found in him, the one who was crushed like Samson, but was perfect and gave us his perfection and actually delivered us from all of our sin and all of our miseries. We pray all of this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. As we move to respond with gratitude, with nothing but the blood, we remember, though Samson sacrificed a small imperfect example, we see the perfect example of the one who was crushed and didn't just get crushed, but gave you perfection in his crushing, to deliver you eternally from your sin. So let us rise number 278, nothing but the blood. Again,